welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hi, my name is VJ. I'm the lead pastor here at The Well. Over this past uh, break, I actually watched a couple of movies. Maybe you did as well. And I noticed uh, a recurring uh, scene in some of them. And it actually made me realize, oh, there's several movies I've watched over the years that have this same scene in it. It's the point in the movie where the protagonist or the main character walks into a church. And it's usually at night. Um, the church is usually a little bit empty. There's some lighting. Maybe there's some singers, you know, like in Home Alone or whatever. And, and it comes at the point when the person or the individual is feeling really alone or really desperate, uh, like they don't know where else to turn or they, they've come to their wits end, or um, they feel really uh, like hopeless and powerless. To, they can't do anything about the situations they're in. And so some of them come because they feel alone and they don't want to be alone and, and they just hope that maybe prayer or being close to someone who's close to God will help. For some people, it's sort of a desperate, hey, God, uh, bless me, I'm about to do something crazy kind of thing, whether that's the Godfather or a million dollar baby or something like that, or just this sense of like, I'm powerless, somehow I need to go here. Uh, it's a last ditch. It's not, if we can say this, um, you know, a, a, a proactive or first move or best move or bold move or strategic move. In a sense, prayer is kind of like that for a lot of people. It's not the first thing we think to do. It's, it's not the first move. It's not a bold move. It's not a strategic move. It's sort of a last resort, a last ditch effort to try to deal with my feelings of being alone or desperate or powerless. Now, I'm not being critical. I think uh, this idea when it comes to prayer of feeling like that, you know, we come by honestly. Maybe uh, if you're uh, not a person of faith or you were and you left, um, you, you struggle with prayer. Um, and and maybe even if you are a person of faith, you say, no, I, I believe I have faith. Um, we struggle with prayer primarily because we're haunted by the questions of, does God really hear my prayers and does prayer really work? Um, you know, like a, it, maybe it isn't a first, I'm being honest myself too. It's not a first resort. It's not a first plan. It's not a bold move. It's not a strategic move because I wonder, I struggle with the questions of, does God really hear and does this really work? Well, I'll be sort of cards on the table today. Um, my goal for the rest of this message is to get you to start your year with prayer to make it a first move, a bold move, a strategic move in your life. And, and here's why I would say that. We, all of us coming out of 2020, maybe many of us are experiencing um, loneliness or desperation or powerlessness. In fact, maybe some of the anger or frustration we feel with being told what to do or being told that we can't do um, is because we feel powerless and we're a culture and a community of people that are not, being, not used to being told what to do. And and we could easily carry those feelings of being alone and being desperate and being powerless right into 2021 because the situation uh, that 2020 closes with finds its way the same or maybe even worse into 2021. And so I want to submit to you that we got to do something different as we head into this year. And I want to make a case for you and for me and our whole community, whether you're a part of the well and this is your family or you're totally new to this church or to any church, that beginning the year with prayer would be the most bold and strategic and powerful thing that you could do. 
um, when we talk about our, our week of prayer that's actually going to start tonight um, for the next five nights, some of you may be familiar with that. Some of you may be like, oh, what, what is that? This is our attempt to prioritize prayer, to make it bold, to make it strategic, to make it first at the beginning of every year. This is actually our 12th year in a row where we began the year with a week of prayer. Some of you have come for many of those years. Some of you have come once or twice. Some of you have never been. It's a chance every night we're going to gather actually online at eight o'clock, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's a chance for us to listen to God together because that's part of prayer. It's a chance for us to be prayed for, to receive prayer for healing. It's a chance for us to learn how to pray. Some of us are saying, I don't even know how to pray. This is where we actually learn. It's a chance to actually experience the presence of God. And it is something I believe is the, the best possible thing we can do, the most bold, the most strategic thing we can do to begin the year so that we don't just simply carry on our feelings of isolation and loneliness, desperation, um, and hopelessness and powerlessness into 2021. Now, maybe it's some comfort to you to know that we're not the first people in history to struggle with the questions of um, does God really hear my prayers and does prayer really work? One of the things I love about the writers of the Bible, if they're nothing else, they are honest. They portray the lives of very ordinary, broken people like you and I. And they portray their questions and their struggles. And many of them, people we would call people of faith, people who are close to God, struggled with this question of, does God really hear my prayers? Does prayer really work? This last fall, we actually looked at a letter, the very last letter in the library of scripture that was written by one of Jesus' closest friends um, to a community of people. Uh, it's the book of Revelation. And one of the things we talked about was this community of people, the, the letter writer himself, John the Apostle, and his community of friends and family and Jesus' followers were people who were also experiencing um, isolation and desperation and powerlessness. They were under the grip, under the rule of the Roman Empire, which was crushing them. And at this point in history, when this letter was written to them, they had moved from having Nero as their emperor, who used to um, punish and torture and kill Christians for sport and out of his own sort of twisted narcissism. But under, actually, after him, it had gotten worse. And under the emperor Domitian, it was actually now state sanctioned, state law um, didn't allow people to actually worship Jesus alone. And so Christians were being um, persecuted and lives, their lives were being ruined and they were being killed. And so many of them were in that place. Many of them had lost loved ones. And so they were feeling, um, you know, we can say, guys, we're not the first people <laughs> to feel alone and desperate and powerless. 2,000 years ago, this group of people in the same way. And in fact, John himself, the apostle, was writing the letter from um, sort of a prison island. He was exiled. He was isolated. That was kind of, if you were a political prisoner of Rome, that's what you did. You were sent away to an island. He was isolated and in exile. And listen to how Eugene Peterson in his book, Reverse Thunder, described John's situation and listen to how much it sounds like a lot of what we are going through. Here's what he says. Exile is the experience of powerlessness. Everything is determined by someone else. We are removed from where we want to be and whom we want to be with. We are isolated from place and persons. We are victims. The worst punishment possible in ancient Israel was banishment or exile. To be separated from family and country, from community worship and family faith, that was the cruelest decree. 
a person created for relationships of love cannot live adequately without them. A person created for relationships of love cannot live adequately without them. And while we're not trying to compare the details of our circumstance to those of first century Christians in Rome, we can at least say this, we know what it's like to feel that way. And John himself was overwhelmed by all he could see around him. What he saw was he saw his own isolation and it made him probably feel desperate and powerless and his own people under the crushing grip of Rome felt the same way. And revelation, as we said, was actually given to them as a vision to engage their imagination and their senses and to help them actually see a different reality than the one that was striking fear and despair into their hearts. And what's so interesting at the center of that vision, there's the, the, the topic of prayer, the issue of prayer, and whether God hears our prayers and whether prayer works actually comes up. And in a moment, you're going to hear the scripture read for us from Mark Bailey from our Bolton site. But just to set the context for you, at this point, this kind of point in Revelation, it is reaching a climax where God is about to act, um, where God is about to move. And something fascinating happens right before God actually moves to deal with the evil that was crushing his people, to bring justice and deal with all the injustices that were happening in the world and what a difficult and, and cruel place it was to live. Right before God acts, there is a silence in heaven. And listen to what happens in the middle of that silence. When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer, and with the prayers of all God's people, on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. It's easy when you hear a scripture like that to sort of get lost in all of the images and words that are either strange or foreign to us or that we don't understand at all, uh, like angels and trumpets and uh, golden censers. But actually, if we really understand what this passage is saying in this, in this moment of silence in heaven, it has so much to say to us about prayer and so much to help us as we struggle with these questions of does God really hear and do these prayers actually make a difference? It says, first of all, that, that there's this silence in heaven. Um, and it says for a half an hour, which is just a figure of speech, because 30 minutes maybe doesn't seem like a long time, unless you have toddlers, in which case 30 minutes of silence would be, you'd be like, where do I pay? Uh, you know, it's an eternity. But it's really this idea of a pause, like right before God is about to act. There's all this action that's been happening up to Revelation. If you were to listen to Revelation, it would sound like someone watching a Marvel movie in the other, like when my kids are watching a Marvel movie and I'm in the house somewhere else, I know they're watching a Marvel movie because there's loud shouting and talking and explosions and there's all this noise. Revelation has kind of been like that right up to this point and then suddenly silence. Again, those of you that have toddlers know when it's silent, you run. Something's going on. Um, but there's this pause. It, it's kind of like that 
silence right before the roller coaster plunges down the hill, right? There's climbing, climbing, and then there's that moment. It's that quiet moment before the plunge. It's that breath that maybe you take, those of you that swim up north, uh, you know, in the spring or the summer, or you have a cottage or whatever, right before you take the plunge into the lake for that first swim in the late spring or summer, there's that breath before something magnificent happens. Um, it's that moment where the fadeaway shot hits the rim four times. <laughs> before it goes in. It's this pregnant pause. This is what's happening in Revelation. There's this moment and, and it's like everyone is hushed and watching. There's no one distracted. It's not like someone's on mute going. Everything is silent and hushed and looking at God in the center of the throne room about to act. And what takes center stage in the middle of that silence? What brings all of heaven to a quiet, holy hush? your prayers and my prayers. <laughs> the language used here actually says, all the prayers of God's people. It says that our prayers take center stage in heaven. And the way it describes the prayers is actually like incense. I have a little incense stick here. So I'm going to light this and we'll see it actually lights. Now, I don't know if it's supposed to burn like that, but anyways, the incense is burning. And do I blow this out? <laughs> oh yeah, okay, now, there we go. See that? That incense is going to burn. And incense, if you know, if you've ever smelt it, it's a smell that continues to burn and it actually fills the room. It, it, it sends a fragrance off. It actually begins to fill whatever space it's in. In a little while, this thing is going to actually fill this whole room and everyone who walks in is going to smell it in other parts of the building and everything like that. Ancient Israel, like hundreds of years before when they used to worship God, incense was a part of their worship. The priests would actually bring um, on, on behalf of the people these bowls. That's why it talks about the golden censer, these bowls of incense. And it was meant to be like this fragrant offering and in a sense that God would be pleased with the smell. That it would, because when you burn incense, it makes the, it fills the whole room and it fills the whole room with like a pleasing scent and, and a, an aroma. And so that's what was a part of their uh, worship. But it's so interesting. If you read the scripture here, it says that the, the incense is the prayers of God's people. This scripture is telling us that our prayers are like sweet-smelling incense to God. It's, it's our prayers are a scent that fills the throne room of heaven. If you want to imagine wherever God's throne room is, maybe it looks like a kitchen, maybe it looks like a living room, maybe it looks like a majestic throne room, whatever it is, that our prayers are like the sweet, our sweet-smelling incense that fill the space where God is. And God breathes it in and says, yes, I love this. This is good. This is what it says our prayers do. Isn't that incredible that that's what our prayers do? And so I, I want to just pause for a moment here. And if you're with other people, um, you can talk about this. If you're on your own, you can reflect or journal about this. Um, what does it mean to you to know that this is how God feels about and responds to your prayers? Like, what does it mean to you to know that your prayers would rise up to God that would fill the space of his throne room and make him go, ah, that he loves them, that they are a sweet smelling fragrance. So just take a moment and think about this question. How does that make you feel to know that this is how God thinks and feels and responds to your prayers?
How amazing is that? That our prayers go up to God and that God finds them pleasing and enjoyable and they fill his senses. But actually, if you continue to read, one of the things you'll find in this passage is it's not just um, that these prayers are um, pleasing to God. Look what, um, look what the scriptures actually continue to say in, in this passage in Revelation. It says, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. And the better translation is here, the smoke of the incense, which was the prayers of God's people, goes up, look at this, before God. You know, this isn't like, okay, if you wrote a letter to Santa this past Christmas that, you know, his admin read it, one of his elves read it because he was too busy because he got a lot of letters. If that's ruining some things for you, I'm sorry. But it's like if, if you bought a product and it was ruined and it dyed your hair a funny color and you wrote an angry letter to the CEO of the shampoo company, he didn't read it. Somebody else, uh, his admin, if you wrote your famous superstar athlete and said, hey, you know, I, I love what you're doing. I think you're amazing. She probably didn't read it. She probably had an assistant that filtered through her mail or a rock star or whoever. Somebody else handled it. The scriptures tell us that's not the case with our prayers. It's almost like the angel kind of opening the doors of God's throne room and in go our prayers. It says right before God, in God's presence. Not only does God see them and hear them, but he loves them. They are in front of him. All our prayers are heard and seen by God himself, and he loves them. He delights in them. All our prayers are heard and seen by God himself, and he loves them and delights in them. Isn't that incredible to know that that's how God views our prayers? Like that's where he's at with our prayer. So don't ever believe, oh, what does God really hear? The scriptures tell us, and in this middle, for these people who were um, alone and desperate and powerless, saying, where do your, does God hear? Yes, they are right in front of him. All of heaven is silent as he takes in our prayers, the prayers of all God's people. But that's just the first thing Revelation tells us about prayers. It doesn't stop there, right? Because we could say the cynic in you could say, okay, yeah, it goes up like wispy smoke, um, you know, and God likes it. <laughs> Is that all? No, look what it continues to say. Here's what happens, you know, because we think, oh, it sort of goes up into thin air, <laughs> the smoke. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Here's this picture that John sees. So here's the prayers of God's people all going up like incense in this bowl. And then it says the fire, or really we could say that symbolic of the presence and the power of God attaches itself or is added to the prayers of God's people. And it goes back down on the earth in power. You see, we may feel like our prayers go up like wispy smoke, but they come back down like thunder or thunder. <laughs> okay, a little aside, I just have to say this has nothing to do with the sermon, but my dad's name is Sunder, but white people pronounce it Sunder, okay? And he was the preacher in my church when I was growing up. So my friends and I, when we would sit there in service, and usually he was bringing it, it was a good sermon. And, and whenever it was a good sermon, we would look after it to each other and say, you been thunderstruck. Okay, so anyways, that's, I know no one's doing that now. I digress. <laughs> 
You know, it says, it says the, that God takes the fire of his presence and power and adds it to our prayers and it comes back down the earth. Well, it went up like wispy smoke, come back, comes back down like it says lightning, thunder, and an earthquake. Something that is seen like lightning, something that is heard like thunder, something that is felt like an earthquake. See, John and his first century Jesus-following community and we 2,000 years later where isolation and desperation and powerlessness threaten to overtake us and sabotage our prayers and we struggle with does God here and does this do anything need to know that while it may go up or seem like it goes up like wispy smoke into thin air, with the power of God, it comes back down on the earth like thunder. See, the, the scriptures here tell us that, that our prayers of the saints don't just fill the room like incense. They change the world. Listen to how Eugene Peterson describes it in his book. He says, The prayers which had ascended, unremarked by the journalists of the day, returned with immense force as reversed thunder. Prayer re-enters history with incalculable effects. Our earth is shaken daily by it. Prayer re-enters history with incalculable effects. Things that are unremarked, unnoticed by others, by journalists that seem like nothing. Prayers, in a sense, are unseen and unheard and unfelt as they go up. But he reminds us, Revelation reminds us, yeah, but they come back down with power. They change the world. They shake the world. Friends, John was invited into a reality, an, un, the unseen world in a sense that was more real than the world he could see with his eyes, where what he was seeing on earth was threatening isolation, desperation, powerlessness. And so he needed to see something else when it came specifically to prayer. That first of all, God hears our prayers. They are always before him. They fill the space. They fill heaven's throne room. All of heaven is silent as God's people pray. It's like, uh, it's like when silence in heaven means God's listening. He hears our prayers as they come up. They fill the room. They please him. But then he adds his power to it and it moves him to act. And the world is shaken by our prayers. So take heart. Don't be discouraged. Not only does God hear our prayers, prayers shake and shape the earth. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, watching a story um, of a guy named Shawn Michaels, who was probably one of the biggest uh, stars in the WWF. When I was growing up, like when I was 11 years old, I had a poster of him on my wall. And he was one of those guys that's been in the WWF and the WWE forever. Um, he was the WrestleMania champ. He had all kinds of names. And he, he was, he was an a international megastar. And he said the ironic thing about it, because he was a very bold and brash character in his sort of wrestling thing. Uh, it's an act, just in case you're wondering. Um, but he said, I, I, he said, people who knew me when I was a kid, my family were shocked to see Shawn Michaels. He said, because I was so shy, I was so reserved, and they couldn't believe that here I was, this international television megastar, being so brash and bold and charismatic. And he said, truthfully, the only way I could do it was with the drugs and the alcohol. He said it was a way to deal with what was going on inside of me. He said a lot of sadness, a lot of anger, and it was just a way I could make it work. 
He said, I finally met the woman who became my wife. He said, we met and married within only a few months. And he said, within six weeks, we found out she was pregnant. And he said, by that time, she had realized that sort of my party life wasn't a party life. It was how I dealt with every day. And he said, I was a bit shocked to realize, oh my gosh, I'm going to be a dad. I got to kick this addiction thing. I got nine months to get clean. He said, during that time, his wife began going to church. And he said, he noticed that she began to change. Um, he said she was becoming a more and more beautiful person. She was an amazing wife. She was, um, you know, uh, preparing to be a mom. He said she never bugged me about church or whatever. Every so often she'd give me a book or something like that, but she was, you know, kind of doing her own thing with it. He said, well, sure enough, the baby came and I still hadn't kicked my addictions. He said the shock came from me, you know, between the eyes when he said, my son is two years old. And he said, I remember one night as I was lying on the carpet about to pass out, which was my daily ritual, of, you know, doing too many drugs and drinking too much. And he said, I heard my two-year-old say, oh, daddy's tired again. And he said, it shocked me. It wrecked me. I realized he notices. He sees. I got to change. He said the next day he went to the church where his wife has been attending, walked into the office. It was during the week. And he just said, I, I need some help. I need to join a Bible study or something. And he said, the IT guy who was at the office desk said, oh, I have a small group. You can come to my small group. The next night he came, to, he went to this guy's small group and the guy said, Sean, you need Jesus in your life. So he led him in a prayer. And Sean said, I prayed to receive Jesus. And he said, the love and the power of Jesus just so filled me. He said, I knew my addictions were gone in a day. It was over. And my whole life, he said, I began to have joy for the first time and peace. He said, I came home and I started telling my wife all this stuff. I can't believe this. Jesus saved me, whatever. He said, she's just looking at me, matter of fact. And she's like, I know. She said, what do you think I did every night after you passed out on the carpet. She said, I went to my closet and I prayed. And he said, 10 years later, he's telling the story. He said, I'm still crying. He said, I still can't get over that. He said, she never pushed me. She never hassled me. She never criticized me. She never, um, you know, got a down on me for what I was dealing with. She just prayed. How many hours and days and weeks for her did it feel like wispy smoke? But for her, it wasn't a last resort or a last dish effort. It was a bold move. It was a first move. It was a strategic move every day, every night. And what went up like maybe that unheard sort of unseen smoke came back down like thunder and changed her world. Friends, that is what I want for you. That is what I want for me, that we would begin this year differently. And so we're actually going to just do that right now. And I want to lead you in a little bit of a prayer exercise to begin to start even this year before we jump into whatever's next, before we try to deal with whatever's coming, before we try to think about how we're going to do this year, that we would pause here and say, okay, if it's true that God hears my prayers and those prayers come back down on the earth like thunder, I want to pray. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to pause, and, and if it helps you, you can close your eyes while you're doing this. And I want you to just imagine, I want you to think about something that is close to your heart. Maybe it's a prayer you've prayed many times. Maybe it's a person you've prayed for many times. Maybe it's a situation you've prayed about many times. Maybe it's something you've given up praying for because you just have run out of words and you think, well, what else more can I say? Maybe you've never prayed before. Uh, you don't even know how, but there's something on your heart or someone. And I want you to imagine uh, what that is. 
And now just under your breath or in your mind, or if you want to write it down on a piece of paper or on your iPhone or something like that, just write out a prayer, a simple prayer. It'd be, God, can you help me with this? God, can you reach out and help this person or heal this person? God, can you fix this situation? God, can you help me with this? It could be simple. And as you look at those words, as you think about those words, I want you to imagine them as incense, as, as a kind of a smoke going up into heaven's throne room. Wherever you imagine that to be, whatever you imagine it looks like, imagine angels throwing open the doors and your prayers like incense, this prayer that you just prayed, filling the room, going in like incense and filling the room and coming right to the face of God. And imagine God just breathing it in and he looks at you and he smiles. He says, I hear you. I see you. I hear this. I see this. And then you hear him say to you, soon, soon, soon I will act. It may feel like wispy smoke now, but one day it will be thunder on the earth. Until then, God says, hang on. My friends, this is an encouragement to you and to me. This is the kind of prayer maybe we can pray, maybe throughout this week, you're going to use this image of incense rising up as an image that can help you know how to pray. The other thing I want to encourage you to do is, as I said, starting tonight is our week of prayer. Every night for five nights, we're going to be on Zoom. You can find the link on our website. Uh, 8 p.m., 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. every night for five nights. If you've never prayed before, don't worry. You won't be asked to pray out loud. You can just listen and learn. That's how I learned was just being around people who were praying. You're going to be taught how to pray through scripture. Um, the whole theme of our week of prayer is renew, is renew, is, is letting God reshape our mind and our heart, renewing us from the inside out, giving us the perspective and the hope and the joy and, and his way of thinking and looking at the world as we head out into this year. So I would encourage you, if you've come before, come every night, carve out the space, carve out the time. You may be, may be wondering, well, what's this going to do? What could I expect? I want you to listen to a story of someone in our church for whom the week of prayer has become a fixture in their life and what impact it has had on him. Uh, hey, everyone. Uh, for those that don't know me, my name is Jeremy Ages. And uh, yeah, I'd like to share a little bit about my experience with the week of prayer. Um, I mean, I, I say like to share, honestly, um, I felt a little unsure about what to share. Um, you know, as I took time to prepare for this, there was nothing seemingly profound that jumped to mind. And like a part of me wished I had this super direct story to tell you of going to a night of prayer, praying for healing, and then like, bam, healing. Um, you know, and I've heard of those stories. Like, and I know those stories exist through the weeks of prayer, but I mean, that's not really my story. And when I reflect on it more, mine is much more of like a slow growth story, kind of like you can't really tell 
day in, day out that a child is growing, but every year for sure there's growth happening. You know, that, that's more me. And over the last 20 years, like I've seen time spent praying together with people in my life has gone from this thing that has caused real, I don't know, fear in me to something that has led to real transformation in me. Like I, I honestly, I used to spend the whole time worried about what I was going to say during prayer. And then after praying, spending the rest of the time sort of second guessing what I prayed and worried that I didn't pray the right thing. Um, but I don't know, now there's just this confidence in me to know that every time that I, I do go, it's going to be worth it. And it's not like I've become some sort of expert prayer. I've just over time become much more comfortable to be prayed for and to pray for others. And honestly, that's only happened because of the Spirit's work in me. Like my only credit comes in deciding to go. Everything else is the Holy Spirit. And, and honestly, trust me, still that decision to go is not always easy. Like I need to keep telling myself it's going to be worth it. Every year there's a night or two where I just do not feel like going. Fear starts to crop up again or anxiety or this frustration of what I might be missing out or I'm just too busy. And honestly, I mean, I don't always win those battles, but I feel like I'm getting better at recognizing and reminding myself of the joy that I'm going to have once I'm there. Because honestly, during the week of prayer, when you see God at work, it is so cool. Like sometimes it's immediate and you see and hear God at work over the week in people's lives. And it's so inspiring. There's also something so affirming when you get to, as a church, just pray for something beyond you and your needs to something bigger. And when you see those prayers being answered, like, like the missional work in Guinea or raising up young leaders in our church, like it builds faith. Like I know it has strengthened my faith significantly over the years. But honestly, it's not even just about the answers. Because look, church, like I have prayed and asked the others and some of you to pray for healing for people that I love dearly many times. And that healing hasn't happened yet. And I mean, I've prayed with you for injustices that have not seen justice yet. But one of the things my experience has taught me over the years is that prayer isn't about the, you know, the response per se as much as it's about the relationship. I don't know about you, but I've never felt the closeness of God like the spirit, spirit, sorry, really stirring up within me and the real presence of Jesus as I do when I'm praying with his people. And at times there's been tears, at times there's been triumph, you know, or, or pleading, and at times we're praising, and I've seen God work in all of those things, strengthening me, comforting me, encouraging me, transforming me, you know, and others too, sort of bit by bit. And honestly, like, I've never felt closer to our church community, like to all of you, than when we are praying together. Like there is something about going to God together that builds connection. And at a time like this, isn't that what we want, like what we need? I know I do, to feel close to people, to feel love, to feel like we have purpose in all of this. And I'm reminded of what Paul wrote in Philippians. I thank God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There's so such a joy that comes in partnering together and starting the year in prayer for his good works to carry on. So I want to invite you to come this year to the week of prayer, to invite you to put yourself in a space to feel the Spirit's presence, to hear the God of the universe speaking to you and through you, and to see, uh, sorry, to see Jesus working in his people, to receive the gift of prayer, and honestly, for some of you, to be there to help give that gift to someone who really needs it. 
Like there are some of us, me included, heading into this new year that need to feel a sense of belonging like we've never felt before. To feel a sense of purpose like we've never felt before. To feel a sense of you know, restoration and renewal. And this this sense that of someone saying to you, like, I've got you through this, like we've never felt before. And if that's you, I just say, just show up. I promise you God will, as will your church, and you will be so glad that you did. Well, I hope that's been an encouragement to you as you consider taking a bold move, a first move, a strategic move, and carving out time uh, to be at the week of prayer and also carve out the space. You want to just create some space even in your own house that feels a little bit different. You can burn some incense if you want, whatever it is, just to create a space with lighting and that you're be comfortable, not distracted, and that you would be able to engage in whatever God has for you for this week, because I know he does. We're going to close our service now before we sing with a time of communion. And the communion elements are, are a constant reminder, which is why we do it constantly throughout the year, every year, and the church has done this for 2,000 years, that we don't pray to earn God's favor. We don't have to beg him to act. The communion elements remind us God made the first move. God loves us. He has given himself to us. And because of his love, because of his sacrifice, because he has given himself to us, we can receive all that he has for us. And so I just want to pray, and then Dave's going to lead us in communion. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given yourself for us, that all of this is because of your love, that because of your love, we are invited to pray, to be bold, to make the first move of prayer, to be strategic, to say, yes, I know my words are heard by a God who loves me. And I know that they're heard by a God who acts in power. And so even as we receive these elements, help it to remind us, God, that we live our lives in a posture of receiving all that you have for us. And that's why, Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.